0: everyone in broadband land. I'm your host, Brad Hine, and welcome to another episode of The Broadband Bunch. Our guest today is Jeff Moore, the founder and principal of the company Wave7 Research. Wave7 provides its customers and subscribers with powerful insight, coverage, and analysis of the U.S. wireless market. This includes postpaid, prepaid, fixed wireless, and smartphone competition. Both his clients and subscribers at wave 7 Research receive an in-depth knowledge of what is really going on in the U.S. wireless market. In the past, Jeff worked at Sprint headquarters for 13 years, spent eight of those years leading the carrier's competitive intelligence efforts to help better their market strategy. Jeff has contributed his knowledge to many conference speaking sessions and industry publications, but he currently is the conference director of the All Wireless and Prepaid Expo and is a columnist with Fierce Wireless. Jeff is also very active on social media, spreading his knowledge and research to everyone following his channels and feeds, which we will talk about today also. Jeff, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Brad. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, I know we've been talking for a while uh, now about trying to find a break in your schedule and hours uh, to find um, time to get some of your industry insights here on the Broadband Bunch. But I know um, you and I chatted and... Uh, found out you're from Lawrence, Kansas. Jayhawk, huh?
1: That's right. Yeah, we actually have a football team this fall.
0: (laughs) I noticed you guys showed up on game day against TCU.
1: Yeah, that was something from out of this world because the Jayhawks actually had not won more than three games since 2009. So for them to uh, be getting the game day treatment as an undefeated football team was, uh, was extraordinary.
0: Well, rock on. And also, thank goodness for basketball, Kansas. Right? Rock chalk.
1: Uh, uh, the current champions, yes.
0: <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, um, when you and I initially spoke, I was really interested because I've spent a lot of my career in data analysis and collecting live data, historical data, and feeding it to um, ISPs and, and WISPs so they could make better decisions. So as the whole world is clamoring for more data to make better decisions... Here is Jeff with a with a fabulous business. Tell us a little bit about, uh, more specifically, about your time at Sprint and what shaped that. Eventually, what became Wave Seven.
1: Yeah, so basically, uh, for the eight years uh, between. Uh, you know, 2006 and 2014, I was the leader of Sprint's competitive intelligence operations, gathering information about what's really going on in the world and uh, feeding that into Sprint executives to to let them know. And when I left Sprint and at the end of 2014, uh, my standard joke is that I basically kept my job and kept doing exactly what I was doing before. Uh, so this is a uh, pretty close to the equivalent of Sprint's competitive intelligence operation, just syndicated so that uh, companies, you know, a lot of carriers and uh, and OEMs. And uh, and investors uh, subscribe to our research, and so telling them the real story about what's going on in wireless, and uh, going well beyond the press releases, and and uh, you know actually hitting the stores, access to an ad database, uh, really talking to sources, and telling the real story, uh, regardless of uh, corporate press ho- press releases.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, share with our audience a little bit about what your customers and and subscribers would receive from from your, uh, service? Yeah.
1: So, uh, we have two reports per month, uh, for most months on the postpaid market, on the prepaid market, on the smartphone market and, uh, in the United States and for fixed wireless, it's a little bit different. It's a quarterly PowerPoint deck that goes out.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And so, um, what do you hear in the last year or two that are, that's driving a lot of that knowledge now, what are some of the, the movers and shakers in the market as of 2022? Well,
1: um, just broadly stepping back, uh, you know, obviously Sprint being acquired by, uh, by T-Mobile and then in, in the consolidation inherent in that and the, uh, the purchase of TrackPhone by uh, Verizon has been a, a big mover. So there's been a lot of consolidation and a lot of change in the last couple of years.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And so you recently also traveled to Las Vegas and gave, um, uh, a session that you spoke with a couple other, um, uh, cohorts in the industry, um, at the WISPA, uh, Wispapalooza conference. Um, tell us a little bit about, uh, your experience at Wispapalooza and, and then about your session.
1: Yeah, so Wispapalooza two thousand twenty two was a uh, was a great event, uh, well attended. Good to actually you know get out get out of Kansas and go uh, shake hands with the actual wisps and talk to them and uh, and learn about what's going on out there. It was a very well attended event. uh, Strong uh, strong sense of energy out there. Um, But but I guess uh, you know when I uh, spoke to the conference, my big picture was that uh, fixed wireless uh, is has grown. Um, just extraordinarily just this year uh, in, in terms of broadband ads um, so it, when I say fixed wireless to be clear I, I do include t-mobile and uh, Verizon in this equa- in this um, equation because they, they certainly have uh, led the way in terms of the ads uh, even if we set uh, Verizon and AT- Verizon and T-mobile aside the wisps are growing on their own uh, you know the, there are about 2800 wisps out there and they're growing they've been growing um, uh, at about a 15% pace, according to the Carmel Group. But setting those aside, uh, the leadership really has been provided by T-Mobile and by Verizon. Uh, so the the um, most telling figures that I put up on the screen were that in uh, in 2000 a- in the first quarter, uh, fixed wireless accounted for about 50% of net ads relative to the cable companies and the telcos. Uh, and this is figures put out by the Lightman Group. Um, And in in 2Q, uh, they actually accounted for more than 100% of net ads, with fixed wireless having 816,000 net ads compared to negative 60K for the cablecos and negative 85K for the telcos.
0: Wow. So clearly the industry is finding a new way to connect folks. And I'm assuming that's because... Um, Some of the industry comparisons are maybe it's more affordable for these underserved areas um, to put up these fixed wireless networks. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so what's really fueling it is that T-Mobile and Verizon have both gotten very serious about it. Um, Uh And and I think that one of the big drivers there is the fact that both T-Mobile and Verizon have gotten their hands on some spectrum that they did not have before. So for T-Mobile, they got this 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. and And I say this with a great sense of jealousy having worked at Sprint for 13 years, but when they purchased Sprint, uh, they gained an enormous volume of uh, spectrum in a 2.5 gigahertz range. And T-Mobile has been very active in the last couple of years in lighting up their 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. And that gives them enormous capacity to provide whatever they want to provide. And, uh, you know, so in addition to uh, providing a solid mobile experience, and, and they're very judicious, I think, in the way they use their spectrum, So they certainly they're, they're using the 2.5 gigahertz spectrum to, to provide uh, broadband to customers. Uh, but but they're they're judicious in the way they do it. They're not doing it in a crazy way. In um, Verizon, uh, very similarly, they got their hands on some spectrum, the C band spectrum. I believe they spent about forty nine billion dollars to acquire that. So it's a, a separate amount of spectrum in addition to what they use for their mobile customers. And they've brought that online starting in January. So bringing this enormous volume of spectrum online is what really has enabled the telcos to uh, provide a broadband experience. Uh, broadly to the U.S. public that they have not been able to provide before.
0: Right, right. So clearly everyone wants to be connected. You ke- we keep seeing um, things in the industry and all the, uh, the publishings that more more more. Everybody needs more connectivity, more bandwidth. So how, it, is that really true? What, what does somebody in a rural area really need uh, at a residential level just to be connected to do some of the things they want to do?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, you know people are arguing that uh, that fiber is the way to go, and I would agree that fiber is actually the greatest telecom invention ever. Uh, it truly is amazing and provides uh, you know remarkable speeds, but it's not a one size fits all world. Um, fiber uh, c- can't economically be extended to everyone. It's much cheaper in uh, many cases in rural America to extend uh, fixed wireless technologies, which, by the way, are getting better and there's more spectrum available for it and more federal funding. Uh, In in many cases, it just makes more sense to extend fixed wireless. Um, And then the other thing that I mentioned, so in addition to T-Mobile and Verizon having more spectrum that they can use to provide broadband services, they've actually gotten into the game a lot better than they had before. So if you look at uh, T-Mobile's pitch, uh, sure, it's $50 per month. That's the headline pitch, but they've actually been pitching it at a $30, $30 price point because mm. if you bundle it in with the Magenta Max uh, you know, premium plans, you can bring the cost down from $50 bucks per month to $30 bucks per month. In, Why are you paying the cable company an arm and a leg when you could be paying T-Mobile $30 per month for your broadband connection, which is perfectly zippy? And Verizon, uh, very similar, Uh, you know, under certain terms and conditions, you can get uh, broadband from them for $25 per month. You know, if you have a Verizon unlimited um, uh, premium plan, uh, you, you can get broadband from Verizon for $25 per month. And uh, and honestly, when I look at the applications of uh, broadband, is so you can watch YouTube, it's so you can get your Netflix, it's so you can stream something. Um, you, you, there's no need to split atoms. After you get beyond five or ten megs uh, for one stream, uh, you're fine. It, you know, maybe you need 20 or 25 if you're um, if your family's streaming all at the same time and maybe gaming. Uh, but but really, I, I think that the uh, the wireless connections are more than adequate
0: great great insight it's it's something that we continually hear you know we we know there's an evolution to this business model especially in a rural community that that uh has well i won't say nothing because as we know there um there is always the satellite play right you can always have a satellite in certain areas of the country um instead of having to depend on a local wisp or an isp is that 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 is still true right
1: Yeah, that is absolutely true. So uh, the satellite aspect to this, uh, I know that Starlink's been getting a lot of press coverage and uh, there's a lot of talk about satellite. But when I take a step back, um, there's some pretty interesting numbers that popped up recently from Wells Fargo, and and they put out their uh, idea of uh, how it's going to evolve in the future between 2021 and 2027. And they had uh, satellite at uh, 1% share as far as the eye can see. Um, so, but so my uh, thought on this is that a lot of people um, yell and, and scream that uh, oh, there's no broadband where I live, and uh, my answer to that is that there's actually a broadband connection wherever you can see the southern sky, um, because HughesNet is a service provider right now. Not even with you know setting Starlink and some of the other mega constellations aside, um, st- you can get uh, perfectly. Is it the broadband service from HughesNet or from ViaSat, wherever you live. They're advertising on te- TV. the The offers are out there. Uh, but if uh, but if you ask the question, we, you know, the Starlinks and the other uh, mega constellations that are out there, um, are, are they going to uh, displace uh, T-Mobile and Verizon? Are they going to displace the telcos and the cable codes? I don't think I don't think so because uh, it is not a better experience and it is more costly in most cases to have a satellite connection, but, uh, but your point is well taken, um, satellite connectivity is available everywhere.
0: Yeah, it is. It's interesting talking about all these different technologies, you know, as we, and, uh, as we get, get into our discussion, you know, we've already named different spectrums of fixed wireless, you know, you have satellite, you have cable connectivity, you know, we have fiber. Um, and you mentioned earlier, one, you know, there's a perception that kind of the one size fits all. Like there's one process for everybody that that's just not true. The more we learn, the different geographic areas with different parameters serving different populations, um, you can't just roll out the same old thing for every community out there. Um, so at what point does maybe a, a local WISP start to consider fiber and, um, because now they're kind of for, they're forced with this challenger kind of effect where they're going to have to manage hybrid networks at a certain point if they want to serve different areas.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. A, a lot of these WIS, local WISPs are finding that they do need to go with fiber in some areas. In some cases, there are funding requirements, federal funding requirements, state funding requirements that require them to roll out fiber. So they're certainly gaining that expertise. And uh, there's actually been some discussion about changing the name of the conference because uh, a lot of these providers are uh, hybrid providers with uh, fiber in addition to uh, wireless, and just making the um, decision on a case-by-case basis depending on the density of the community, uh, the uh, local availability of fiber, and other factors.
0: Right, and taking this a step further, it seems like some of the, the government funds are recognizing this too, so they're they're incentivizing um Fixed wireless carriers to consider this, you know, in their in their offering, where maybe maybe fiber is a requirement for a certain percentage of what they're rolling out. Are you are you seeing this then across the country also?
1: Yeah, I think that the uh, the wisps and in uh, providers are being pushed in the direction of uh, of fiber, and I'm not sure that that's a healthy thing because uh, if you look mm. at the figures, it's actually much much cheaper in most instances to roll out fixed wireless coverage. And usually that provides, uh, basically what people need. So I, I don't think that's a healthy thing. I, I don't think it's a one size fits all universe and we need to have the, uh, have the market settle. What's the best solution in a given market.
0: So, I, and y- you and I spoke, uh, earlier this week, there was some, there was some information that came out about potentially, uh, some inaccuracies on mapping and data that was available when initially, uh, Choosing some of the some of the folks that receive government money, um, it, it, we all know how important it is to have uh, accurate mapping and, and data to tell us who should get that funding, what what areas are served and underserved. So, what you're saying is, um, the fixed wireless connectivity is actually a bit more powerful and maybe maybe more dense than we actually believe it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to square up what uh, what people are saying and, you know, government mapping and, uh, and, and formal reports uh, with some of the realities that we're seeing out there on the ground. Um, so the, the Recon Analytics is a, a very good firm that does some uh, some pretty good research. Hmm. And they recently uh, this summer put out some information about uh, which connecti- form of connectivities have the highest net promoter scores. And actually, uh, fixed wireless was the uh, was, was the technology that came in first place. And you would certainly think that it would be fiber because that's that's absolutely the superior way to provide broadband broadband service. But when you look at the net promoter scores, uh, actually, uh, fixed wireless was uh, came in first place with fiber coming in second place. And I, I think that uh, you know when you ask people, do you um, do you uh, appreciate your um, your service, is it the best service that's out there? Uh, fi- uh, fixed wireless came in first place, uh, with, because I think that customer service and technical support, uh, ca- are, um, part of that experience. And those uh, scores came in higher than the, uh, than the scores for fixed, wa- for, uh, fiber and came in higher than the scores for, uh, the cable codes.
0: Wow. That's fabulous information, Jeff. Uh, kind of looking a little bit further, uh, the bigger picture out, you know, we're starting to get to know these, um, these mega constellations, these businesses out there, some of the larger ones. Um, as fixed wireless starts to grow that way and is starting to prove that uh, you know, even from a consumer standpoint, it's reliable. How, how do these folks, how these businesses start to play in this space?
1: Uh, to me there's basically going to be niches uh, going forward because um, the price performance of uh, satellite connectivity is not equivalent to what a fixed wireless provider or what a uh, cable co or what a telco can provide so I, I think that the the mega constellations are out there but uh, what wells Fargo sees uh, fixed wireless sees satellite share as being one percent as far as the eye can see and uh, and I think they're about right on that that it's a it's a niche if you're Um, you know, on the ocean, if you're on a mountain, uh, you you know, the satellite mega constellations are always out there, can provide ubiquitous connectivity. Um, The other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that I think a lot of the satellite effort is not necessarily geared toward the United States where we have, you know, relatively advanced uh, connectivity. There are a lot of countries around the world where they don't have connectivity, uh, you know, in most places other than than satellite. So I think a lot of this is uh, addressed at, Uh, you know, ships on the ocean and, uh, and countries with, uh, relatively poor connectivity.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So regarding folks, um, companies like Starlink, Starlink and Elon Musk, then you would say there's, there's just a, there's a limited niche for them to support folks in the U S and worldwide then.
1: Relative, relatively limited niche in the United States broadband market. Yes.
0: Gotcha. So, um, what do you hear? You know, you're the one that does all the the, um, the collecting of the data, and you're reporting on it to all your customers uh, with a ton of value. Do you ever differ from um, what comes out of the media and the folks in Wall Street who are, you know, telling folks where to invest? How does that normally play out?
1: Yeah, um, we sort of watch the trends. That's one of the uh, advantage of uh, Wave 7 Research is that we don't just watch the press releases. We actually hit the stores. We actually uh, monitor the advertising. Uh, and, and we um, are usually the first ones to break a story. Like uh, one, one good example of that recently is that in uh, on September 19th, Xfinity actually launched a, a TV ad where they're hitting at T-Mobile for T-Mobile's um, 5G home internet service. Uh, they actually launched an ad that shows a family that uh, very much seem like vampires, and they, they make references to to them being vampires. They, they wake <laughs> up at two a.m. so that they can get adequate broadband speeds as opposed to uh, cable connection, which probably would provide a more consistent connection. So they, they uh, when. Uh, Xfinity, the largest cable company in the United States, is uh, launching advertising very specifically against a very specific uh, competitor. You, you can tell that uh, T-Mobile is uh, really hitting home with their product.
0: Man, that's great! It, it's uh, it, it's so good to have um, you on the on the podcast in an episode, Jeff. I think it's something that we want to consider more of since. Um, you know, on a quarterly basis, you're coming up with new data and sharing it. We'd love for you to consider to, to come back on the show and and share what you can with uh, with our listeners. Um, where where do you see the future of all this going? There's obviously there's funding out there that I, we know needs to be spent in the next few years. Um, how do you see wisps and ISPs responding to, responding to all this money right now? And where do you see us in maybe five years?
1: Uh, well, just being at Wispapalooza, I sort of saw dollar signs in the eyes of a lot of the WISPs out there, just to be candid with you. I, I think that uh, th- there's a lot of funding out there, and a lot of these WISPs are going to be using it to uh, to uh, further their rollouts and build their empires. Um, I, I, I did see a lot of uh, investors at the uh, Wispapalooza conference, mm-hmm. so I think that there's going to be more capital behind the WISPs And I think that uh, there's going to be probably some consolidation that's going to be going on, not not, not necessarily immediately, but uh, but within the coming years. And then the other thing that I think is uh, worth uh, bringing out is the the fact that you don't just have T-Mobile and Verizon rolling out broadband services. Uh, You you know, the the offers that I mentioned, so $25 from Verizon, $30 from T-Mobile. But you actually have uh, so T-Mobile has more than seven thousand stores. Well, guess what? Their uh, subsidiary, which is Metro by T-Mobile, also has seven thousand stores. And uh, in February, they started selling this product th- through their seven thousand stores, and they and then uh, by May, they had offers on it where you could get. Uh, first month free, you could get the gateway for $50 as opposed to 100 uh, originally. So we're just seeing uh, these uh, offers and pushes much more democratized than they had been before. And this is without even mentioning AT&T, uh, which, by the way, is only really getting Uh, down to business on their C-band rollout, and uh, we'll see what AT&T does with this. They're they're primarily focused on fiber as a company, uh, but they're they're certainly lighting up a lot of their their C-band spectrum as well, and I'm eager to see
0: what they do with it. Man, great information. Great information. Well, as we start to wind down our episode today, Jeff, I want to thank you for joining us. I know we're really just scratching the surface on this. We could really go on for a while, but Hopefully, this is a teaser of uh, some some episodes to come between uh, Broadband Bunch and Jeff Moore. Um, before we leave though Jeff, can you share how folks in the industry can get in touch with you and Wave Seven, and maybe where uh, they can follow you?
1: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter as at Wave Seven Jeff. Uh, people can all just also just shoot me uh, uh, an email, uh, Jeff Moore at researchcom and uh, the deck that i presented at wispapalooza is publicly available and i'll be glad to shoot that back to anyone who's interested
0: that's great that's great and as uh being a follower of your of uh of your twitter um there's some great info on there for our listeners to dive into and and look at what you've been creating um, well that will do it for another episode here on the broadband bunch I want to thank our local listeners for joining, and I want to thank Jeff Moore for sharing his insight and stories with us today. And until next time, Broadband Land, I'm your host, Brad Hine. I won't say goodbye, but for a little while so long. Thanks.